1: You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to or during any question. If you can't afford one, the court appoints one for you. Do you understand your rights?
2: When the wall is at your door, you run in
1: or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims. My descriptions of the crime scenes, what I saw with my own two eyes. If you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. And today, I'm going to be getting... Season 12, y'all. Season 12. And this will be episode one of season 12. And if it sounds messed up, it's because I'm in a hotel room somewhere in Rapids Parish recording this on Saturday. I'm sure Jim Chapman and Vision Podcast Studios will do their best to clean it up. But it is what it is. Sometimes you just got to record what you got to record. Kind of brings me back to the beginning of real life, real crime when I was recording everywhere, but the proper place, right? So I'm definitely not in a soundproof studio. You hear any echoing or anything like that, I apologize, but let's get with it. Season one, I am going to be covering all aspects of Courtney Coco's trial, which David Anthony Burns has been indicted for second degree murder at As y'all probably know, this case has been going on for a long time. And I was brought in by Miss Stephanie, who is Courtney's mama, many years ago to to look at this case because they were calling it an accidental death and all that. And and you can go back and listen to Who Murdered Courtney Coco series to catch up on all this. What happened this week, or last week, actually, I came to Rapids Parish on a Sunday, got in a hotel, and... Went to court on Monday morning. That's the beginning of trial week, y'all. So I was there with Miss Stephanie and Lynn and Michelle, who are Courtney Coco's aunts. Uh, We sat in the—actually, we couldn't even get in the courtroom. They weren't going to let us in because the whole jury pool was in there. And so we were outside the courtroom, and I was like, hell no, we're getting in. And we asked the bailiff. He's like, no, no, y'all need to come back at 1 o'clock. I'm like— Fuck that. This is a, you know, this is a public hearing. We're getting in because I knew y'all is jury selection in the state of Louisiana is called Bois Deer and I knew it was going to be quite the show. So on this episode, I'm going to tell you about the Bois Deer or the jury selection and it took two days. Okay. So I don't know how long this will go, but this first episode is the Bois Deer for Courtney Coco's case. So, um, we were, Stuck out in the hallway. Now, the jury room was packed with potential jurors. And this is, I think it was like close to 90 people that had subpoenas to be prospective jurors for David Anthony Burns' trial. And it, so they're all packed in the courtroom. Deputy told us we couldn't go in. Hugo Holland, the special prosecutor, comes by us, and Michelle court uh, yeah, courtney's aunt stopped hugo and said hey we want to get in he said well y'all can get in and he said well you know he says a public hearing which i already knew and the uh he said well let me go in and ask and so we went in and asked someone and the deputy came back and let us in and we had to stand up against the back wall in the very back if you're facing the judge's bench we're in the very back the left-hand corner on the wall now ev- this is a pretty large courtroom every bench was full with prospective jurors we stand it up at first so let's start with that all right and they bring burns in he's got a clean haircut y'all and he was in a red and white plaid shirt and black pants uh, but his shirt was untucked and and they only had what struck me funny was they only had two deputies in the courtroom i've never seen a murder trial where you only have two deputies in the courtroom i guess they had a lot of faith in him but y'all, when they bring burns in He's not handcuffed. He's not shackled, right? Why is that? Because they don't want to potentially influence jurors in a negative way by you know him coming in handcuffs and shackles, and they're thinking, oh, well, he must be guilty. They don't even know that he's locked up at this point. Technically, Uh, um, I'm sure people listen to the podcast and the news and knew he was locked up, but for appearances' sake, they want him to appear. That he's not locked up, so they bring him in, and he comes in with his attorneys. Uh, one who's Mr. LaCour, and they sit down at the table. If you're facing the judge, they sit down at, at the table to the left, facing the judge, probably 30 feet from the podium, in between them and the judge or the clerk the court clerk and the court reporter, and they're fa- actually facing back towards the crowd. And then behind that is where the judge sits. And the judge is Mary Doggett in this case, y'all. To the right of Burns' table, now those tables are a little bit at a diagonal, so it's, they're they're almost yeah, they're facing in towards the judge, okay? To the right of that is Special Prosecutor Hugh O'Holland. And... Uh, a sergeant from the Louisiana State Police who was wearing a suit, also and Hugo Holland's Holland, second in command. The, you know, they're all dressed in suits and 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 everything. Okay, so now let's get to it. The all the people sitting in the courtroom. the 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 clerk comes up and the judge has them swear them in, and they say. Everybody raise your right hand. They raise their right hand and say, do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God. Everybody says yes. Then the judge says, "What?" she's not on the bench. She's like standing in front of the gallery, is what I'll call it, right right in front of all these benches and we're in the back. And she st- starts to talk about qualifications for a juror. And she said, to be a jury member, you cannot have a felony conviction in the last five years, and you have to be a resident of Rapids Parish for at least one year. She said that anyone who's over 70 can be automatically disqualified if you choose, and if there's any medical exemptions, they will accommodate. If there's any hardships, um, she wanted the people to raise their hands. And then y'all, hardships, Jeez Louise, it's hard to explain. uh, I don't want to say bad about people on jury duty, but all the murder trials I've been in, you would not believe the the excuses people give to try to get out of jury duty, okay? And I get that. Nobody wants to sit there and be a part of this process. It's hard, and it's long, and it's arduous. But the judge says, anyone who has hardships, raise your hand. Well, hands go up everywhere. Uh, At least, I think, 23 hands went up out of like 90 people. And so the judge tells them to line up on the wall, the left wall, the wall that pretty much I'm standing in the corner of, and they're going to hear them one at a time. And so these 20-plus people go up and tell the judge who, on the Right-hand side of the judge is Hugo Holland is, is standing listening. On the left-hand side of the judge, Burns' attorney, LaCour, is listening. And you can't hear what they're saying, but people are, you know, giving whatever excuses and they're listening to them one at a time. Then they tell them to go sit back down. So let, let me digress. Hugo Holland, y'all, is probably like 5'10", 230 pounds, and he was dressed in a dark gray suit with a red tie. He's bald Um, on top, and LaCour, David Anthony Burns' attorney, is also bald. Uh, Hugo Holland's a white male, and LaCour is a black male. And he's also bald, and he's wearing a black three-piece gray suit, Um, and they listen to all these potential excuses, okay? Then they excuse themselves to go to the judge's chambers to... Decide on who can and and can't be excluded. All right. So they come back after probably 15, 20 minutes. They come back out and they call the names of 14 of the jurors and they excused them for whatever the reason may be, they maybe were, they were 70 or maybe they had a legit medical problem. And like the judge said, it's not because you know you have headaches or whatever. If you're going to get out for a medical reason, you better have a doctor's note. But for whatever reason, they excused 14 of the potential jury pool right off the bat. All right. So at this time we're able to sit, get a, a seat on the very last bench in the very back corner of the courtroom, and I'm sitting on the edge, uh, up against, the, I mean the walls to my immediate left. I have the first seat, and I'm on the end of the bench. To my right is Miss Stephanie, and then it's, I apologize about the train coming through y'all, I'm again, I'm not in the studio. To my right is Miss Stephanie, to her right is Lynn, and to her right is Michelle. In the front of the courtroom, the clerk of court has this big wire cage in the deputies. They have this big wire cage that's on a tumbler, okay. And they each prospective juror has a juror card, their, their summons, right, with their name on it and all that. And it's a yellow piece of paper, and it has some instructions or whatever on it. But the judge asked them all to pass them into the middle, and the and the deputy came and picked them up. They took all those juror cards and went and put them in this this wire cage, this wheel, right, like a bingo machine. Uh, And they put them all in there and they stir it up, stir it up, stir it up. And then they start to pull names out. Okay. So what they do is they pull 20 names out first. They pull a person's name out and they, as they pull it out, the judge says, I want you to come up and stand on the front row. They pull the first 20 and they're sitting on across, standing in, in the front of the courtroom across the front row. They put them in the jury box. All right. Then they go back to the the wire cage, the bingo thingy, and they spin it, and they pull another 20 names. They had them line up down the wall to my left, okay, um, all the way down. They, look, the jurors are standing like two inches from my head at this point, some of them. And so that took up that one. Then they, that that's called panel two. So the first 20 they, they pulled was panel one. Second 20 they pulled was panel two. And then they did it again, pull out another 20 names. And that was panel three. Now the judge tells panel three, come back tomorrow afternoon at one o'clock PM. You're excused till then give give the court your phone number, best number you can be reached. You can call in tomorrow morning, see if we got a jury pool or not, if you have to be here, et cetera. So they're excused. Panel two that's standing on the wall by me, they, um, Tell them, give us your phone number—the phone number you're definitely going to answer—and uh, your excuse, and come back tomorrow at 9 a.m. and be in the courtroom across the hall, so we can do jury panel number two. So, y'all, yeah, you can see this is going to take a while, y'all. So, but y'all, when they sit the first panel, and and they have them by numbers now. Yeah, you, you're juror number one. You're juror number two. All the way through twenty. And so they sit them in the jury box and we do that. The first row uh, um, is one through seven and the second row are jurors eight through 16 and the last row has the rest of the jury members. I'm sorry, let me back up. They they also pulled the rest of the names, the fourth jury panel y'all and told them to come back Thursday at 1 p.m. All right. Uh, After that, and everybody settled the court breaks for a bathroom break and said they would start again at 10 40 a.m. We come back in from the break. The first jury panelist is seated back where they have assigned seats through the entire trial. If you're number one, you sit in the number one seat all the way through. Uh, well, for the jury on the trial, it's only going to be 14. It's going to be 12 and two alternates. But right now for the purpose of voir dire, it is 20 of them. Okay. So they sit down The lawyers are in their place in the front of the courtroom. David Anthony Burns is in his place. Now the courtroom is empty, totally empty, except for the judges, the lawyers, the deputies, the clerk and court reporters. And one of David Anthony Burns, I assume I was told it was his sister, is sitting on the same side of the courtroom as us, but on the very front row. All right, and then it's just me, Stephanie, Lynn, and Michelle in the back, so the voir dire all right well that, that simply means jury selection. Louisiana's under the Napoleonic code of law, so they call it voir dire the French term for it so the judge Doggett um begins to explain to the panel the process, including that they'll find out facts about the case and she, w- she wants to know if they have any conflicts and are biased and prejudice. That doesn't mean it's a bad bias, y'all. She's talking about, like, if, you know, if one time you got bit by a German shepherd, then you're certainly going to be biased against German shepherds. She's not talking about, like, race issues and stuff like that. She's a, that, uh, or prejudice. Same thing. If you got bit by a German shepherd, you're going to be predisposed to be not like German shepherds. Okay. So, the judge introduces herself and says that she's been an attorney for 20 years and 14 years as a judge. And she's married to an attorney and they have three kids and they live in Rapids. Okay. The judge tells the jury members when we ask you questions, we want you to say your name, your race, your gender. And she said that's for, for statistical reasons. She said, I want to know what profession you do. Are you married? If you are married, what does your spouse do, and do you have any law enforcement in your family, and have you heard anything about this case? And if you have heard anything about the case, don't tell us what you've heard. Just let us know that you've heard something about the case. So they start questioning, okay? And, y'all, I'm not going to give the jurors names because I wouldn't do that to anybody or prospective jurors, but I'm going to call them juror number one, etc. So juror number one stands up and says, they were prior law enforcement for APD, and that they were married and have three kids. The wife, I think, is a youth pastor, and they have heard about this case from the podcast and social media. Let's oh, so skip to jury number three. Jury number three is a retired Marine, and he has heard about the case only from the local news. Jury number four gets up, and I'm not even going to tell you the race and everything else, y'all, because that doesn't matter. Journal number four gets up and says they've been married for 40 years. Uh, they work as a receiving clerk and a work, wife works at a hospital and they've heard about this case from the local news. Jury number five, white female, is married two and has two kids, works for the city of Alexandria and has listened to the podcast. Jury number six. White male. If I leave out some things on some of them, it's because I'm literally was handwriting all this as fast as I could, right? And I miss some things, but I don't think I miss anything important. The juror number six is a white male. Is a cashier and has listened to the podcast and seen things about the case on Facebook. Juror number seven is a white male. Is a retired dentist, has three kids, and has read. About the case on social media and the local news. Juror number eight is a white female, and married, and the husband self-employed. They have three kids, and has seen or heard about the case on the news and the podcast. You're gonna hear me turning pages, y'all, as we go. Juror number nine is an Indian. Um, I guess you call that nationality, but they're certainly a citizen uh, of the United States, or they wouldn't be on the jury now. Married, he's a chemical engineer, and he has no knowledge of anything. Juror number ten is a black male and not married, and has heard about the case on the news. Juror number eleven is a Latino male, is married, has two kids, and has no knowledge of the case. You now, y'all remember this when these people are standing up and saying this to the court, so that's on the record. Juror number twelve is a white female married, and has heard about the case from multiple sources, including the podcast, and potentially has a personal conflict. Jury number 13 is a white male, married, two kids, is part salesman, and has no knowledge. Jury number 14 is a black male, is a truck driver, married, and has not heard anything about the case. Jury number 15 is a white female and has heard very little about the case and is unemployed. Jury number 16 is a black female, a student in criminal justice, and has family in law enforcement, but has no knowledge of the case. Jury number 17 is a white female, married, works in banking, has two kids, and has no knowledge of the case except from the local news.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's chief medical officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special... It's springtime, boys. The grass is green, the birds are chirping, and the kids will be out of
0: school soon. That makes it the perfect time to plan a family vacation.
1: day sayonara. sayonara shout out to AstroPro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples my allergies
4: are throwing my whole morning off do i sound different to you,
1: <laughs> I love that. you sound, <laughs> it's that time of year there bro i sound different to me i feel like i'm in a submarine yeah well have you tried AstroPro? it's faster bro oh. all right astro Pro is the first of its kind nasal allergy spray
4: It's faster, bro. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies.
2: Ask the pro and go. Special two-part episode. You'll hear up close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than twenty years.
1: Juror number 18 is a white male, is a married CFO, has knowledge from the local newspaper of the case. Juror number 19 is a white female and has knowledge from the podcast in KLB. Juror number 20 is a white female, married three kids, has law enforcement in the family, has knowledge from the news and research in the case. All right. So the next thing the judge does, judge says, Y'all being recorded by microphone. There's microphones throughout the, the courtroom, but if, if you would speak up and speak clearly, and if you don't understand something, raise your hand and, and we'll answer the question for you. She says the defendant is David Burns and is indicted for second degree murder. And she points him out. He said that and he's sitting there with his counsel, Mr. LaCour. The core stands up and introduces himself, and Burns, and his co-counsel Stevens. Then they get to um, where they want to ask the the people that have heard about you know on the podcast or the news or whatever. And, and these are the questions they ask them. Okay, they they ask the one you know they took notes when the, pe- the people were saying where they heard it from I hadn't heard it from, so they start calling on them. So I'm not going to say the jurors' numbers or whatever, but they start calling and asking questions like this. One juror says he knows Burns from a convenience store, and the judge asks, so you know him in a professional way. He said, well, I had to call the sheriff's department on him at the store. And it immediately, of course, like, your honor, maybe we approach OK, naturally, the defense doesn't want any potential jurors to hear um, another juror say, oh, my God, uh, yeah, I knew him from the convenience store I worked at. And he he was in there committing a crime and I had to call the sheriff's office. Him. So they go up and they meet about that. And the, the judge, <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, um, the, then they go back to to their seats and the judge says, look, I appreciate your knowledge but rule it out. The jury is here to only hear the evidence that comes in the court and is admitted into evidence. So if you know something about someone in the room and you say, I know something, if it's not admitted in evidence, y'all don't say it. And one lady says she knows the victim's family. All right. Hugo Holland stands up and introduces himself and his staff, including the Sergeant with the Louisiana state police and the judge says, Mr. Holland, read your potential witness list. Now, the reason I do this, y'all, is anybody that's on panel number one, if they know one of the witnesses, the, the court wants to know about it ahead of time. It's a process. Why dare? So, Hugo read his long list, and it included, like, Tiffany Cedars. And one of the jurors says, hey, you know what? I know Tiffany Cedars. And the judge says, part of your job is to the credibility and would you treat Tiffany Cedar's testimony, uh, or would you give it more credence than anyone else? and And he he said, yeah, I would. And so he sits down. And then the next one stands up and they say they know Stephanie, Courtney's mama, And they asked him, well, that could, you know, can you still be impartial? And they said, yes. Lacour used the exact same witness list. He gets a chance to read what witnesses he's going to have. He says, I don't, I don't have anybody else except for one, Dr. Stephen Norman, who is not on Hugo Holland's list. Now, y'all, this is important. It's going to come in a huge part of this case later on. So pay attention to that. So LaCour doesn't have any witnesses other than all, it's a long witness list that Hugo did. All the, all the law enforcement officers and family members and uh, God knows who else in besides Tiffany Cedars. I don't know why I just hers written down. But it was a long, long list, okay. And the core is like, nope, I'm not calling anybody else unless I call Dr. Stephen Norman, all right? Y'all, at this time, my I'm bent over my notepad, and remember, these are like church pews, so my head is down, and I'm bent over, and I'm writing my ass off, right? Miss Stephanie's sitting to my right, and I'm just listening to what they're saying. I'm scribbling, 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 and if you could see my handwriting, you know they say. Shitty handwriting is a sign of high intelligence, and I must be a genius, okay? Because I print, and it's really, really messy, and most of the time I can't even read it. So I, but I got my head down, I'm scribbling, I'm writing my ass off, and then I hear, "You better turn around, turn around, bitch! I'll beat your ass." <laughs> Something to that effect. I, I was, it was Stephanie, and and I look up, and Burns' sister, whoever she was, the only person that was in court for him. Is, is turned around, looking in my direction. She immediately turns around. And I reach over and at the same time as I'm looking up with my pen hand, I actually stab Stephanie in the leg. I'm like, Stephanie, you can't do that. You can't do that. You're going to get, get us kicked out of court. And she said, Woody, she kept turning around, pointing at you. You didn't see it. And, and she said, I'm, I, she can't be turning around, pointing at you the whole time. I'm like, oh shit, you're mama bearing for me. I, I said, all right, it's okay. I mean, I said, don't do that. Right. And so, um, Hugo's assistant, the ADA came came up and we, we told him what happened, and he went and told the deputy. The deputy takes this lady out in the hallway and evidently told her, "You don't turn around and point at Woody Overton, right? You know, you're causing a scene in court." So, anyway, thank you, Miss Stephanie, for Mama bearing for me, y'all. She may not have said beat your ass or whatever, but I'm pretty sure she said something close to that. But she was pissed. Okay. The judge said the prosecutor. Must prove guilt beyond reasonable doubt. Not beyond all doubt, but just reasonable doubt. Reasonable doubt is, is presence when you hear evidence, and at the end of the court case, you're like, hmm, it's, it's not reasonable to think that this guy's not guilty, right? She says the defendant has a right to not testify, and you can't hold that against him. As jurors, you determine the facts and who, what, when, and where. And at the end of the trial, I'll give you instructions on how to apply the law, even if you disagree with the instructions. She says, "At the end of the trial, if you have a reason to find Burns guilty, do you have a problem with convicting? If at the end of the trial you feel like the state proved pretty much their case, but you still have some doubt, how would you vote?" And one female raised her hand, and the judge acknowledged, and she said, "Guilty." Judge said, "If you have a reason without." Then, then the defendant is innocent. Judge asked them, is, is there anyone here who feels you cannot be impartial? Y'all, six people raised their hand. They're saying they cannot be impartial on this jury for whatever reason, okay? And they said, but then they start to question these jury members. So Hugo Holland stands up first. Now, let me tell you something. Hugo Holland is, at the beginning of this, I thought, after watching him, et cetera, and, and I'll tell you about it more as it goes along. I thought, my God, he's simply, he's tied with the best prosecutor that I've ever seen. I And, mean, you know, the courtroom part, y'all, it's, it's theatrics. You know, the, I mean, you just gotta, it's, it's, it's better than any movie you've ever seen. Okay. But Hugo is very composed. He's very well spoken. Um, and he, pretty much likable right and and, the, and but he starts by reading the jury members names at each one of them he reads it out loud and y'all that's this is a great way for him to make a personal connection with them right hey he just said my name right then he goes over each name hugo says to make sure they verbally respond for the microphone so when he calls out the person's name if they just shook their head yes he's like no you know, you got to say it out loud yes for the record right So then Hugo starts to talk about himself. He says, hey, look, I've been doing this job since Reagan was president. He said, I've got two kids, but you wouldn't believe that my kids are only three and five. And Hugo's 57, y'all, 57 years old. And then he shows a video on the screen of a happy face. And then he showed a video or a picture of an upset face. Then he shows the 101st Airborne. Landing at D-Day, and then he showed the Arlington National Cemetery, and he asked Jerry, said, "Hey y'all, why do you think I showed you these pics?" And one of them, you know, answered, or they answered for different reasons. He said, "But Hugo says because these people in Arlington Cemetery, and 101st Airborne, et cetera, all the soldiers that have gone before us, they fought for our rights." And we don't put people in prison unless they belong there. And he says, if Burns is convicted, he has to be sentenced to life. But he turns around and he points to Miss Stephanie and Lynn and Michelle and me. And he said, how important do you think this case is to this family after 18 years? I was like, it gave me goosebumps, y'all. I mean, so now he's working. And and again, I'm paraphrasing stuff. I'm leaving some stuff out because I couldn't write so fast. He's making this purse connection with the jurors, and he's letting them know how serious this shit is. All right, so he says, what you do know or think you know, will that get in the way of you making a decision? And he said, I want to know, did you get your information from KLB or the podcast? And he asked me, have you ever played the, the gossip game where people sit in a circle in a room and one person says whispers a sentence in the next person's ear and that person is supposed to turn to the person next to them and whisper the same sentence. And by the time he gets all the way back, right back around the circle, the sentence is all screwed up. The truth, there may be a nugget or two of truth in there, but they get it wrong. Right. The gossip game. And he says, what well, starts out as the truth and ends up false by the time it comes out in the end. And he, sh- then he shows us more slides of CNN, different things uh, uh, on, on news stories that they've done where they've gotten it wrong. Like one of them was a slide uh, showing the uh, southern part of America and what should have been the Gulf of Mexico. They had the Gulf of Mexico listed as the Pacific. So basically he's, he's telling the jury, look, the media gets it wrong, okay? They don't always get it right. And he, he points to the slides stuff and says, regardless of what you heard, Can you put that aside and make a fair decision? Don't mess up what you think you know with what you hear in court. Can you put aside what you already think you know and base your decision only on what you hear during this trial? So then Hugo asked and says, look, those of you who know people on my witness list, if you know them and you don't convict, will you catch holy hell or would you knowing them affect your decision uh, so much that you would be convinced that relationship, or could you put it aside and and not suffer any ill will uh, between the family if there's no conviction? One of the jurors, y'all, that um, said he had a personal relationship with David Burns. So they go to him, and they asked him if his personal relationship with Burns was good or bad. He said bad. And they asked him, as the state didn't prove the case, could you vote, could you vote fair? He said, no. (laughs) They asked the next lady and she said that she couldn't answer that question, um, but that her mind was already made up. They go to the next guy and he says he believes Burns is guilty. And Hugo said, the law is you have to come back with not guilty if I don't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. And the guy says, well, you know what? I could be fair. Then Hugo says, then Hugo says, look, y'all, if you heard would he say this or that on this podcast, or if you heard from the news, would you tell other jurors what you heard? You know, others say he is guilty. Hugo says, Can you be fair? Yes, it's your duty. It's not an option to vote guilty or not guilty. And he kept harping on it, y'all. He kept harping on it. You gotta be fair and make your decision only after hearing the evidence in the court. All right. Hugo kind of sits down. Lacour Tells the judge, I want to interview them one at a time. Now, listen to me, y'all. I've been doing this almost 30 years on the criminal side and on the defense side. I have never seen a jury panel be interviewed one member at a time. So what they did is send all 20 of them into the back room, and they call them in one at a time. Now, LaCour's reason for this, I guess he doesn't want the, the, like the, the clerk at the convenience store to say, yeah, I know it burns because I had his ass arrested or whatever, right? They sent him out, and they bring the first person in. Hugo asked him, he said, what source, not Hugo, LaCour, asked him, what source did you listen to? Was it on the podcast? And, you know, on the podcast, there's a bunch of evidence coming out to the court. And the first person said, yeah, I did listen to it on the podcast. All right? The second person, or the second juror, they asked, LaCour asked him, how long have you been following the case? The, the juror says, two years. He said, how did you learn of the case? The juror says on the podcast, and he says he himself as a podcaster. And after arrest, he started listening to real life real crime. The court says, "Do you know? You think a lot of evidence was released on the podcast?" The juror says, "Yes." The court says, "You know, I, I tried to listen to podcasts, but I couldn't." Well, don't you fucking think it'd be pretty important if you're on the defense to listen to the podcast, right? But well, that's my personal opinion. I'm gonna try to leave those out. But he's putting on a show for this juror. So, so, Lacour asked him, you know, can you find this defendant? If I could, if I prove Burns guilty, you know, you listen to podcasts, can you find the defendant not guilty? And the guy's like, no, he's guilty. So, they send him out and they ask him that, you know, they bring him in one time, y'all. It just goes on and on. So, they asked, Lacour tells the next juror member they bring in, he said, look, Holland, Hugo Holland did it backwards. and he asked the guy. I said, "Can you be fair based on the evidence?" And the court kept hammering him, saying, "The guy said, no, I can't be fair, right? Because he's listened to the podcast.'" And the court says, "So you still think he's guilty up to this point?" And I asked about the local news, and the guy guy said he heard it on the podcast and social media, and pretty much says he thinks he's just guilty. So y'all, they're bringing back in the ones to turn the page. They're bringing back in the ones that said they have some knowledge. All right. Anyway, the next one, the court uh, asked and th- that person says they've heard uh, about this case since the arrest on the news. And the judge asked, them, "Could they be fair even after hearing on the news?" And they said, "Yes." So, y'all, the next one they bring in is a lady, and and the said, "Hey, how did you hear about this case?" Like he did on the rest of them, she said, "I listened to the podcast," and, and he said, "Well, even." If you listen to podcasts and what what you hear in court, could that could you separate the two? She said no. She said the podcast got this one It was a cold case. And well, he said, how much credit do you give Woody Overton in the podcast? And this lady said one hundred percent. She said he is guilty. Boom, they ship her out of the room. Right. So the fifth juror said, he says, how did you hear about it? And can you be fair? And he said he can't be fair. Because he doesn't like Anthony, period. And nothing is ever going to change his mind. The sixth, he, LaCour said, How many episodes of podcasts have you listened to? That juror says, None. I've only heard about it on the news. The seventh person they bring in, the LaCour says, Have you heard it on the podcast? And they said, Nope. Just yesterday, even on the news after I got the jury summons. The eighth one brought in, he said, his only knowledge on the case is he heard about it on the news a couple of months ago. The ninth, course, said, do you follow the podcast? Have you listened to any of the episodes? And the person says, I don't recall. Uh I know my mom and family members listen. And LaCour says, "You know, do you, so you have preconceived notions, et cetera. And, and the person said, no, I don't. But I definitely have knowledge of it from the podcast. I sent them out. Number 10, LaCour asked him about the knowledge. And he said, well, you know what? The name sounds... Familiar. I probably heard about it on news from my wife. The 11th person brought in. He said, "You know, what source did you get hear hear about it from?" They said, "KL KALB News, locally." And no, I don't have an opinion on this case. The next one uh, says they heard about the case from KLB, and they have a vague memory many years ago, but they could be unbiased. The next one, I think number 13, says they read stories in the local town talk. Newspaper and the said, Well, what about the podcast, real life, real crime? And then the, and the juror said, No, I haven't heard it. The 14th one said, The said, Have you heard about it? And they said, I've listened to the podcast, I've heard about it on news, I've read about it on social media. He says, Well, do you think if there's enough evidence finding out not guilty, you could vote not guilty? And she said, No, my mind is made up. Then bringing the number 15 and ask him, Where'd you hear about it? He said, On KLB uh just yesterday and they googled it afterwards because they knew they were coming for juridity. So that's it y'all and then Hugh gets back up.
2: Hi everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered Podcast. For this special two part episode you'll hear up close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. Looking
4: for a new and healthier way to unwind? I was too, and then I tried Recess Mood. Recess Mood replaced that after-dinner alcoholic beverage for me, so I saw a difference in both my mood and my belly. It's made with real fruit, it is only 20 calories, and it contains no added sugar. Recess Mood is infused with functional ingredients like mood-lifting magnesium and stress-balancing adaptogens, so you can relax without the alcohol or the hangovers. Recess Mood tastes great too and comes in four different flavors. My favorite flavor is the Strawberry Rose. So whether you need a moment away from the errands, work and kids, or you just need a moment of chill during dinnertime chaos, Recess Mood is where it's at whenever you need to relax and unwind. You deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash R-L-R-C and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement.
1: They bring in the jury back. He says, asked the jury, he said, what do you think my job is? Hugo says, I believe Burns is guilty, but it's not what I believe. Justice is what the jury decides. Hugo explained the second degree murder has to have specific intent as an element of the murder. And that the only sentence is life in prison. And Hugo asked each juror, what are your thoughts about sentencing someone to life? One person says, hey, as long as you prove him guilty, then sentence him to life. And Hugo says, well, hell, <laughs> I'm certainly going to try, right? He's put, he's a showman, y'all. He's, he's really working the jury. He, Hugo says, the judge will tell you your job is to determine the weight and credibility of the evidence. Anybody have a problem with that? He said, look, I'm going to put up at least one witness that's probably going to lie. And the, the state does not have to prove motive or premeditation, just specific intent. So back to the motive part, he said, you know, we don't have to prove it. Is, if we have motive, great. But we don't have to prove it. Premeditation, we don't have to prove that. Just specific intent. So he says, look, Hugo always uses his name. So look, Hugo, I was, I was at work today. I had a rough day. I went to a local bar and slam back a few beers and then I get in my car and I'm driving home and I run off the road and I hit a guy on the corner. I kill him. Did, did I have a specific intent to kill him? Well, no, he doesn't. Right. So he said, take that same scenario. The same guy, Hugo, leaves work pissed off, goes to this bar, starts slamming back beers, tells the bartender, his boss is sleeping with his wife and He knows where his boss is going to be standing when he leaves the bar and he leaves the bar drunk and goes the way to where his boss is going to be standing on the corner because he stands there every day and he runs off the road and runs him over and kills him. That, people, is specific intent. Now, another way I've heard it described is as simple as this. If a mosquito lands on your arm and you see that mosquito that's biting you and you slap it, guess what? You had the specific intent to kill it. So, so that's how easy it could be. It doesn't have to be as uh, a specific, specific intent. It doesn't have to be as grand as what Hugo was saying about, oh, you know, got was sleeping with my wife. I know he's going to be standing, da-da-da-da. Yeah, but I was drunk, and at the last second, because I'm drunk and I'm pissed off, I ran him over. Well, it could be that, but it could be as simple as a mosquito landing on your hand, and you say, oh, shit, he's biting me, and you slap slapping and kill it. So Hugo says, look, you don't have to premeditate or think in advance. You know, premeditation, y'all like, you know, you're thinking weeks out, oh, well, I'm going to do it for the insurance policy or whatever. You don't have to have all that. Just, just specific intent. And he said, look, the defendant has the presumption of innocence. He said, how many of you think I took out a phone book and, and scrolled through it and picked out David Anthony Burns and decided, well, fuck, I'm going to charge him. He didn't say fuck. He said, I'm going I'm to charge him for murder. So, so here then he goes on and says, look, you know, what do you think Mike Burns might be here for? Because law enforcement did, did an investigation. Then they have a process. After they think they have the right guy, then they bring it to the DA. Common sense says there must be enough evidence for Burns to be here or he wouldn't be sitting here. But right now, you've heard no evidence, so he is presumed innocent until so the state proves him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Said Hugo said, no person is accused by law enforcement can be forced to talk. He said, I can't make Burns testify. You and you can't hold a silence against him. He said, I can't trample on Burns' rights. And Lacour can cross examine my witnesses, so you can still hear both sides because La- Lacour is basically testifying for Burns when he when he cross examines my witnesses. He said, But you got to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. And he used the down Thomas there, y'all. He said Thomas could not be a juror, right? Because Thomas, you know, all the other witnesses, the, the uh, apostles believed, but Thomas, was like, I'm not believing it till I see it, till he could physically put his hands in Jesus' wounds. And when Jesus came to him, and he physically saw the the gash and, and the nail holes, and and he felt 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 that that is beyond all shadow of doubt, right? He said, so. Thomas couldn't be. A, a jury member. He also says, you have to agree that you, I don't have to have eyewitnesses or CSI to prove this offense. He says, look, I have to produce evidence, right? But like DNA, he said, do you think it's the begin all and end all of evidence? A couple people raised their hand and, um, and he goes out and, and questioned about that. You know, Hugo played huge on the DNA. Um, he said, "He turned around and said, look, DNA is, is. let's say there's um, a girl that I, Hugo's been dating for years. And we're on again, off again. I take her out to dinner. We go to the local makeout spot. He said, I don't know where it is here because I'm not from Rapides Parish. I'm from Caddo. And he said, I probably don't know where the one is in Caddo anymore because it's been a long time since I've been in the makeout spot, right? He's working the jury. They're laughing. He said, but we go to the makeout spot and we have sex. And I take her out, drop her off. I go home. Hours later, the detectives are banging on my door. And they say, hey, Susie said you raped her. But, but so then when Susie goes in to make the complaint, they take her to the hospital and they do a, a sexual assault kit on her, right? And where well, they collect semen from her vagina, which is Hugo's, and they test it and it comes back to her. Well, is DN, DNA the all-important evidence in that case? No. Because Hugo's defense is going to be he's been having sex with her, right? He said, "Well, what if the cops go to the local makeout spot and she says we were parked right here by this tree, and they look on the ground, right? They're going to collect evidence so they can. And there's three used condoms. Is the DNA in those condoms important? No. Why? Because they could be from anybody, right? Everybody goes there to screw, and that's their their condom juice. So DNA is not always as important." Now, then he flipped it. He said, Now, let me give you another story. He says, If we have an eight year old little girl who's walking down the street and a guy comes by in a clown suit and a Scooby Doo van, he jumps out, scoops her up. Everybody knows she's missing. We find her eight hours later dead on the side in the ditch on the side of the interstate. Take her in and do a sexual assault kit on her, and they find sperm in her vagina. And it comes back to the clown guy, is DNA all important evidence? And like everybody's like, yeah. Hugo said, welcome to my world. Okay? He said, but DNA is not everything it's made out to be in the movies, et cetera. And again, y'all, I'm paraphrasing. Hugo then gives another example. He says, look, if I'm standing in court and I walk up to, he's his assistant. uh, I can't remember his name, the guy. I walk up to him and I pick up a chair for whatever reason. I beat him to death in the chair in front of all y'all. I beat him to death. And before the deputies can can respond, I run out the courtroom, right? He said, what kind of evidence do you think is going to be there? Well, certainly I've got all y'all as, as eyewitnesses, right? And everybody's like, yeah. He said, Um, so you got the eyewitness testimony. And what else might you have? Blood on the chair, right? And... That's good evidence, right uh, the chair may have left some marks on on the victim that could be matched up or whatever but it's still you got all the eyewitnesses and, and that's a great case and so when he said, now let me take it to the next level. I same guy I pick up the chair, I beat him to death in front of y'all but this time I run out with the chair. And I'm going across the Red River, and I throw the chair in the river, and I throw my clothes in the river. What am I doing? I'm getting rid of the blood evidence. I'm getting rid of the murder weapon. I'm getting rid of everything, right? Is So you got nothing left in the courtroom but a dead body and all you as eyewitnesses. He said, do you think your testimony as eyewitnesses is enough to convict all of y'all? And they were like, yeah. And he said, okay. He said, there's 20 of y'all, probably 30 people in the courtroom, but there's 20 of y'all. He said, let's say nobody else in the courtroom saw it, but y'all, you, you, the eyewitness, your eyewitness viewing of this is enough to convict. They all said yes. He said, well, let's take it down. He said, well, there's just five of y'all. All right. And five of y'all could testify that I saw Hugo Holland beat Mr. So-and-so to death in this courtroom with a chair, even though all the other evidence is gone. It's just your eyewitness testimony. You think it's enough to convict? They all said yes. He said, let me take it back further. What if there's just one witness? One, and he points to one of the jurors, Mr. So-and-so. He said, Mr. So-and-so, what if it was just you? You are the only one in here. You're the only one that saw me beat him to death. I run out with all the evidence. They find no evidence on me, et cetera. You're the eyewitness. Do you think that is enough t- to get a conviction? And, and the guy was thinking about it for a minute, he was like, you know, you're on the stand. Yeah, the rest of y'all or the jurors. He's on the stand. He says exactly what he saw. Is that enough? One person, one eyewitness enough to convict? One of the jurors raised a hand, and he said, and he acknowledged them. And they said, "If I believed him," and he said, "That's exactly right. The the you, if you believe the witness is telling the truth, then all you need is one witness. Period." So then he says, "You know," he said, "Well, y'all, what if a witness get up there and to testify, and they say they got something for their testimony?" right? Whatever it may be uh, from the prosecution. It, I got this from my testimony. And y'all, he showed the, the picture of the movie Goodfellas and where Henry Hill was in the, in the circle all of his guys laughing, all the mobsters, right? He said, they're all bad guys, right? And they're like, yeah. He said, well, what happens to Henry Hill? And he flipped the, the thing and Henry Hill is the one witness on the stand. He said, now look, he was a gangster. He killed people. He robbed his, his other cohorts. But He took the stand and testified against them. And do you believe what he was telling was the truth? He said, if you do, then you have to find that witness credible. Okay. And use that in your determination of guilt. He said, just because somebody gets promised something, it doesn't mean that they're not telling the truth. It happens. Okay. So he said, ask about what are some other things? This little lady comes home uh, and she finds her home's been burglarized and the cops talk to witnesses, the neighbors. And one neighbor says, yeah, it was Hugo Holland. I've known him in my entire life. He was wearing an orange shirt and I saw him running out with the Xbox. Right. They talk to, the next neighbor, and the next neighbor says, yes, that saw some bitch Hugo Holland. I saw him running out the door with Xbox, but he had on a red shirt. Okay, so the only difference in the statements is orange and red shirt. He said, does that matter? No. The the, the the color of the shirt doesn't change anything. Then he turned to a couple of jurors. He turned to one lady and He said, look, um, how old do you think I am? And they were like, oh, you know, he put him on the spot. And I think the person said, like, 53 he turns a, a person on the other end of the jury pool, another female, and says, How old do you think I am? And she's like, mmm, fifty. And he turned back to the first person, he said, How much do you no, how tall do you think I am? And she was like, six foot? And turned back to the other one, asked the same question, said, How tall do you think I am? She was like, six one. And he turned back to the first lady and said, How much do you think I weigh? And now y'all, he's putting on a masterful show, right? And she was like, oh, I don't want to answer that. Everybody's laughing, right? And he said, no, seriously, how much do you think I weigh? And she was like, 275. Mm, <laughs> and everybody busts out laughing. And he goes back to the other girls, and he said, how much do you think I weigh? And she's like, oh, I don't know. And she didn't want to answer. He said, just answer it. it, it it's, it's important. And that lady says, well, I think you weigh 250. He said, okay. And he puts on the screen. He said, I'm Hugo Holland. I'm five foot ten, I weigh 235, and I'm 57 years old. That uh, he said, now if I see y'all, you never see me again after today till like four weeks later, and you see him at a restaurant or something, the even though you disagree on my or you got my height and age and all that wrong, if you see me out in public again weeks later would you still be able to say, hey, that's Hugo Holland. That's the guy that we were in jury selection for. And they were both like, yeah. And he's like, there you go. He said, just because people may have a different description of the person or some type of evidence, it doesn't mean they're wrong. It's, it's They have their own uh, influences. It could be eyesight. It could be whatever, uh, whatever it may be. The main fact is, as long as you can still say, Hey, that's him. That's the person that did it. Or that's the person that I saw. Simple genius, y'all. That, uh, the, I, I'm gonna have to stop here. Yeah, but because this is going to be so long and I'm going to continue and listen. You got to keep listening because it's, it's the best shit ever when I get to tell you this. There's a whole lot more questions and everything that comes up. Even for just jury panel one, jury panel two, I'll just touch on them and, and I'll tell you about the jury getting seated on the next episode. So thank you all for listening. Um, it's a new day for a life, real crime, a new old day. We're going back. We have our own stuff now. We we are Produced locally, not produced, we're we're in partnership locally with Mike Agravino and uh, Workhouse Productions. So all the episodes that you missed in in the past, that's not going to happen anymore. We have a set amount. I couldn't run an episode in the past if I didn't have a commercial. Now we have the commercials guaranteed Uh, or you're getting an episode guaranteed. It, there will be 10 episodes in a season. You get at least four seasons a year. That's 40 weeks of real life real crime without any patron or convicts or anything like that. So stick with us. we got a lot of other big announcements coming up. I'm not going to say them until the ink's dry on the paper. But I appreciate and love each and every one of y'all. I can tell you, patron and convicts, I could not be sitting in a hotel room for 10 days away from my family covering Courtney Coco's case if y'all did not subscribe. And it's very important to me. I want I'm gonna give you your shout outs because you helped me do this. Okay. Courtney Coco's case, that David Anthony Burns would not be under arrest if I did not have this, this the financial support from Patreon Convicts. And y'all if you want to be a Patreon Convict member, you can go in your social media or go to Patreon and look up Real Life Real Crime or In the Real Life Real Crime app, that's what our subscribers are called, convicts. The go there and click on the link and sign up. They have different tiers, and you get different benefits and all that stuff. And this week, y'all will be getting the bonus episode, War. And that's what happened to me this week. And over the years, on the Courtney Coco's case, I've never told you the shitty, harmful, dangerous things that have been done to me because I represented Courtney Coco. Guess what? I'm not running off bitches. That that that's not for you lifers. That's from the motherfuckers that are listening that did what they did over the years and did what they did this week. You can go fuck yourselves. All right. Uh, uh, I'll be there in court every day. You know where I'm at. You wanna do what you whatever. You know where I'm at. So y'all, a lot more coverage coming. Thank you for listening. Uh, go like and follow us on social media. And, you know, of course, we got Bloody Angola is, is another podcast. I co-host with uh, Jim Chapman and Lopa, Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. If you're a lifer from San Paulo, wherever the hell that's at, and you want to be an organ donor, you don't have to be from Louisiana. Go to Lopa.org. Fill out the the. The little form takes like two minutes and become a hero, right? If you die and the chances of your organs ever being harvested or whatever they call it are very, very slim, but it's very important that Lopa saves lives every day, but they can't do it if y'all don't sign up as organ donors, okay? Hey, me personally, if, I, if, if I'm brain dead in the hospital or whatever, I don't give a fuck what they do with my organs. Take them. If somebody else gets to live off of it, great. If they get to study my organs and find out, a cure for cancer is even better, right? So, Lopa.org, be a hero, save lives. And I'm Woody Overton, you host of Real Life Real Crown, the podcast. Until next time, or ever, don't let me catch you down on Murder Bayou. Peace. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used to get you in a court of law you got a right to an attorney prior to and during any question. If you can't afford one, the court appoints one for you. Do you understand your rights?
2: And the wall is at your door.